Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. church. Excited to be here with you. My name is Corey, one of the pastors on staff. Good to be your teaching pastor uh, for today. And <clears throat> pardon my, my voice, I had a covenant membership class last night or yesterday. It was super fun. And uh, they were stuck with me for about five hours of talking. And then now they're stuck with me today for another 40, 45 minutes. And so if I have to kind of fight through that, just give me a little bit of grace uh, to do so. And so uh, what I want to do is actually want to uh, start with prayer. I mean, I've, we view this, this whole service leading up to now as a, a moment of prayer as we walk through liturgy and songs and hymns and spiritual songs. But uh, for me, this was one of the, the most, I think one of the most difficult texts that I've had to exegete. That means to kind of set in and, and pull out the information for you. I've asked, I think throughout the week, probably about 65 people just to be in prayer just for our time together now. We've been anticipating this time, we've been anticipating the Holy Spirit's arrival for this time. And so while I do view the whole gathering as a prayer, I also just want to just spend a moment here um, just praying on my own behalf here to the Lord and just plead with him one more time uh, before we get into it. Does that sound good? All right. Thank you. God in heaven, first we come and thank you for our salvation more precious than gold. God, we always want to lead off with prayers of adoration before we make request, even if the, the request is that you would be glorified. God, we want to give you the glory first. And so thank you, God, for redeeming us, for saving us, for sending your son, as we're going to get into here, to die in our place as our substitute, to suffer temptation and loss, to experience, to experience the excruciating work of the cross, God, in our place to give us that mercy, God. He takes what we deserve. And so thank you. God, as always, I, I pray that you would help me to lean into your word more than to my own wit. God, help me to believe that the word is alive and active, as the book of Hebrews says, for me first, before I believe it to be true for anyone else in the room. God, I pray that you be with my vocal cords. God, give me strength in them. As we had a fun day yesterday, but praying, uh, paying the price today for sure. And so, God, I ask for strength. I pray that you help me to dive in where I need to dive in deeper, to press where I need to press deeper. God, I pray for my own mind and heart against the anxieties that are unnecessary during this time. I pray against and for my own emotions, Lord. Help me to be appropriately emotional when necessary here. I pray the same for those that are here, Lord. I pray against their anxieties that can hinder them from focus. And God, I pray that you help them to experience emotion only if it leads them to deeper presence with you. And so, God, I pray that above all, your son would be exalted, that the word would be proclaimed, that your spirit would be in the room, God, and that we would be able to watch captives be set free today. We pray this in the sweet name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen and amen. Many of you know my family's story. We are a foster adoptive family, and so our kind of first foster placement, if I may, moved in with us at nine years old. Uh, lived with us for about six or so years, and then for those of you that know us in the room, and, and many of you do, uh, you know just a few years ago uh, that that boy found himself in a situation that he should not have been in uh, that led to him, while he did not pull the trigger, led him to receive a first-degree murder charge on his record. Um, that was about three years ago in June, I believe, and so Andrea and I, last year, my wife's name is Andrea, we Got to go to the sentencing uh, for that. I want to tell you, that's just a place I just never fathomed I would find myself in general, not as a dad, but just in general. And so we had to sit there, and as we sat on the family side, we got to see the victim's family begin to walk in. And my gosh, for me to tell you that it was like with every new family that walked in that room to say that the anxiety or the tension increased is a severe understatement for how we felt during that time. But we sat there as a representation of his family to support him as his 
family. We got to see the grandfather give his victim impact story and, and speak of his grandson that had been shot and killed and tell stories about his grandson and celebrate his life uh, before us. We got to see his mom, this mom of a teen who had been murdered, uh, come in and share her victim impact story. And she talked about the anxiety that comes with that, rightfully so, and the depression and the counseling, the intense counseling that she had to walk through. And she told stories of her boy, man, as she celebrated his life there. And what was interesting about that is that when she began talking, she couldn't even make eye, con- eye contact with our, our foster kiddo. She would just kind of glance over every now and then, ridden with anxiety, naturally nervous, outside of her mind, saddened, you know, all the things you can imagine as a mom or dad in the room, yeah? But what was beautiful is she said something that was very profound, and she said, my favorite character trait of Jesus is the grace and the forgiveness that he gives me. And I would not be much of a Christian if I did not model the same grace and forgiveness that I find so attractive about Jesus. And then, with direct eye contact, looked at this boy in the face and said, I forgive you for murdering my son. And it was simultaneously for me, church, the, the most celebratory and tragic moment I think I've probably set in as a man, as a dad, as a father figure, you know. How is that possible, right? Like, is the gospel enough? Is what we know about Jesus, is it, is it really enough that, like, can you even fathom in your mind being able to sit in a courtroom the victim of this horrific incident that has taken place and to look at the assailant and go, I know what you played a part in and I forgive you. You believe the gospel to be enough for that. Like as I sit there and I think, oh, how is that possible? It's beautiful and sad. It's all these, this dual nature right there that you have to wrestle with the tension of that. It's both glorious and celebratory and also like the hardest, one of the hardest moments of our lives we sit there and watch this woman forgive. How is it possible that one can find forgiveness in the midst of such tragedy? Well, the word for that is propitiation, whether you realize it or not. It's propitiation. So let me explain this to you. Verse 17, I'm going to come back to it in a moment, but for right now, verse 17 is the climax of this section in chapter 2. And Hebrews 2, 17 says this, Therefore, that's therefore because everything we've heard the last four weeks Therefore, he, Jesus, had to be made like his brothers, flesh and bone, in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. We'll come back to this. In the service of God. To make what? Propitiation. Right? You want to say it with me? You worried about like spitting on your neighbor's neck over here? To make propitiation. What? Propitiation. Right? For the sins of the people. Well, what is this? Big word, what is this doctrine? What is this concept here that is in the book of Hebrews, right? Because if you're just reading through the book, you skip over words like this. And yet today demands our attention of it. We need to figure out what does this word mean. And so the definition then for propitiation is the satisfaction of God's justice by pouring out his wrath towards sin and sinners. Leave the definition up for me, please, Tristan, for the note taker, for those that are online perhaps. Propitiation is the satisfaction of God's justice by pouring out his wrath towards sin and sinners. And so I'm going to kind of go slow here because I want you to understand what the author here is saying as we get into the sermon. The last couple of weeks we've been talking about Jesus as Lord and Savior, if you remember that. We said Jesus cannot just be Savior. He has to also be Lord. He can't just be Lord. He has to also be Savior. Then last week, we talked about how Jesus, if he's only Lord, and you only know him as Lord, you only know him up high, somewhere in in theory, somewhere in majesty and glory, kind of seated on a throne like Dumbledore out in the clouds. Like, that's who he is. He just exists in theory. So he can't just be Lord. He has to also be Savior. And that means that he's come down low, and he's put on flesh and bone like we're going to get into in a minute, and he's suffered as we have suffered, and he goes to the cross for us in our place as our substitute. He is both Lord and Savior, if you've been here. And so the, the reality then is like, that, that's what propitiation is getting at the angle of here. It's saying that he, he is Lord, and he demands justice, but man, he is Savior, and he's full of mercy. He's full of grace. There's a dual nature that exists 
in Christ Jesus. And so what that means then is that the wrath that you deserve because of your sin and the wrath that I deserve because of my sin has been appeased. It has been satisfied in Christ Jesus on the cross. Like all of the justice that we could ever desire has been taken out on Christ Jesus. That's what you call mercy. Jesus got what we deserve. He took what we deserve into himself, takes the justice that you and I deserve into himself. That's called mercy. That's not getting what you deserve. That's the definition of mercy. So that he can give you what you don't deserve, which is grace. And so Jesus has to experience both justice and mercy in the cross. He has to experience both. Propitiation is the satisfaction of God's justice by pouring out his wrath towards sin and sinners then. What does it mean? What's the application going to be here then? The only reason that you can be forgiven is because Jesus has taken your justice. It's the only reason that you can forgive someone else is because Jesus has taken the justice that you aim to harbor sometimes within yourself. Jesus has taken the justice. Think about this for just a minute, right? What, What keeps us from forgiving other people? But we don't want to extend mercy too quickly. They need discipline, right? At the same time, what keeps you from extending forgiveness to to people? Well, it's like I can hurt them. I can keep them at arm's reach. I can keep them out there at bay. That is the way that I can be just and receive justice in this moment. We continue to try to be both Lord. We want justice and Savior. Sometimes all mercy extending forgiveness too easily to the point of it, it loses value. Propitiation says justice and mercy mercy are at the heart of the cross. Justice and mercy are at the heart of the gospel. And so the big idea today is that justice and mercy are at the heart of God's character. Justice and mercy are at the heart of God's character. There's three points to further press this out. It ain't going to be super fun, okay? There's going to be a moment in here where I'm going to point to the dual nature of Christ I'm going to try to pause for effect. If y'all could just fake it and act like you're celebrating with the heavens, that'd be awesome, okay? I'll try to pause. Someone earlier was like, I want to jump out of my seat, pastor, but you didn't give me time. So I'll do my best. I just can't help myself sometimes. Three points. Jesus destroyed death. Jesus provided propitiation. Fancy word for us. And then Jesus tasted temptation. Jesus destroyed death, Jesus provided propitiation, and Jesus tasted temptation. Thank you. Here we go. Point number one, you ready? You sure? I'm about half half there with you, okay? Jesus destroyed death. All right, here we go. So we're currently in chapter two, okay? I'm going to have to mention this a couple different times together, but chapter one, the author of Hebrews has said, hey, there's a message that's been delivered. There's been the prophets who have brought it. There's been the angels that have brought it. There's been this incredible message of salvation that has come, except for that message didn't fully include salvation. If you remember with me, he was mentioning what's called the Old Testament or the Hebrew covenant or the Mosaic law. Do you guys remember some of that over the last few weeks? And so he says, there's this message that has come, but the message only revealed sin. The message only revealed death. The message only kept you in need for a Messiah. And he's saying, hey, that Messiah has come. And so what we know then is we're reading through the book of Hebrews is that the Jews that the author is addressing has to be asking some of the right questions. And so they had to be asking in light of what we've seen and heard so far is how can we not walk out the law and still not be put to death? How can we not abandon the law, but how can we sin against God and still just not be put to death? And so the Jews are asking this question. Well, one, it's the right question, but either asking these questions or saying, like, they only know justice. Like, they don't fully get the mercy of God until he redeems them from following some idolatry. So as a people group that only knows this justice, they're asking, how can that be? Like, I want to follow this Jesus, but how is it possible that a sinner like me, someone who can't keep the law like me, can, can follow this Jesus and experience life? Man, if I had to guess, many of you in the room ask the same question. Like, you take a look in the mirror and you go, how can someone like this guy get away with the things I've gotten away with and Jesus still call me his son? How can this guy, a person like this gal, do the things that I've done, and yet there is a real, holy, perfect, righteous Jesus that looks at me and calls me a daughter? There's no way that that's true. 
Oh, but there is in Christ. There is truth in that. And so they're asking the same questions that we would be asking ourselves. How do we get away with murder, you could say? How do we get away with this? All they knew was justice. As a matter of fact, as part of the Greco-Roman Empire, that's who the author would have been addressing Jews that lived in the Roman Empire, they didn't even have a concept for mercy. They didn't have a framework for mercy. As a matter of fact, there, the Apostle Paul has to literally create Greek words in the New Testament that have never been used before in written literature to express what mercy even means. Like he had to come up with a term trying to define what it meant to be merciful. And so it was not a concept for them. They're asking, how can we be in relationship with God even when we fail to do what he's called us to do? And the author simply says, Jesus. And then he continues, because just saying the name there is not enough, is it? We need to be told why. And so now verse 14 is the passage section that we're in, 14 through 18. Since therefore, it says, Hebrews 2, 14. Since therefore, the children share in flesh and blood. That is, since therefore, Israel, the people of God, humanity, share in flesh and blood. Jesus himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death, He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death, listen here, were subject to lifelong slavery. And so what the author is saying there is that because Israel is literally human, their humanity there, their literal flesh and blood, Jesus can't just be God out there on high in theory. He has to come down low and suffer as one who is fully human, who's made up also of flesh and Blood, he has to come and die. Why does he come and die? He comes and dies to put death to death. And so again, the Jews, right, as discussed, they had the law, but all the law did was reveal sin, which means all the law revealed was what? Say it bold. That was not bold. (laughs) All they knew was what? One more time, death. Death, pastor, that's it. All they knew was the consequence of sin. All they knew was sacrifice after literal animal sacrifice after sacrifice and death after death to atone for their sins. And so he says, since the children of God are literal flesh and blood, Jesus himself put on literal flesh and blood. That is, Jesus became in the very nature human. This is the dual nature of Jesus. He is Pin this, write this down, fully God and also fully man. We're going to circle back to it again as we have the last four weeks because Jesus comes fully God, fully man. He also then comes willingly under the very thing that they're afraid of. He comes into and under the law of God, under the Mosaic law, the very thing that riddens them with lifelong slavery. Jesus comes into and under whenever he becomes human. And he says, hey, I'll do what no one else could do. I'll do what Israel could never do. I'll keep the law for Israel, and I'm going to do it perfectly, and it's going to cause some suffering. And so even in the midst of Jesus, keeping the law perfectly goes to the cross so that he might die to propitiate, to satisfy God's wrath. But think he willingly comes into and under what they're the most terrified of. You see, death was never a part of the original plan, we'll say. Genesis 1 and 2, there is no death. Genesis 3, there is now death because Adam has rebelled against God. Creation has chosen creator. Creation has aimed to be God instead of submitting himself to who God is and what God has done. And so now, because of Adam, not because of God, because of Adam's rebellion, there is most certainly death, which means there is most certainly a fear that exists within all of us, I would say. It's probably safe to say all of us at times have feared death. Death is inevitable. Now imagine all you have is a religion that is full of death. That's all they knew. That's all they had was this form of justice. This is what they've been set into as far as slavery goes. And the author says here that Jesus came to set this slave free. Jesus has come, pardon me for a second. Jesus has come to set this slave free. Jesus has come to destroy the very power of death. And so my immediate response is, nah, that's not true. Because I see people die all the time. Like part of my jam as a pastor is I got to officiate funerals, right? So I immediately read this and I'm like, this cat doesn't know what he's talking about, right? Like I, I see this, I see death, the world ridden with death around me. Well, he's not talking about a death 
physically, that's the result of the curse of sin. That's a result of Adam and Eve's rebellion against God. He's talking about a death spiritually. He's saying there's a real death you can be set free from, and there's a, a death that, that you can no longer taste in Christ. He set you free from it spiritually. I was, uh, I was sitting here a few weeks ago, and uh, my favorite room in this building, this is a, a new building for us if you're new in the room, uh, it's not this room. This room's cool. But I don't know how to work anything in here, so it's really just a big box for me. But the room back in the back, the kids' room, I can get down back there. And so back in the back corner of that room, there's that room that has an L-shaped window, if you know what I'm talking about. And you can look out, like, over the fields. And so I'll just go back there sometimes and just kind of like an old man, just kind of cross my arms and look at the property, you know, and just be thankful for what the Lord has given us. We prayed about this for how long? And then he finally gave it to us. And so I was back there a couple, I don't know if it's a couple days or a couple weeks now, uh, but it was a sunny day, and it was beautiful. Praise God, spring is coming. And as the sun was coming out, there's actually enough field out there that as the clouds pass by, you can see the shadows of the clouds, like, moving across the field. You guys know what I'm talking about? And it's just kind of like a beautiful moment. You just feel really small in the moment. And so as I was just thinking about being back there and reflecting on that this week in light of this text... I want to kind of deliver it to you like this. Because of Jesus' death in your place as your substitute, man, death now just passes over the Christian. It no longer has an effect on you. There is no longer a physical effect that takes place. There is literally, church, nothing to fear. Like, to live is Christ, to die is gain, the Apostle Paul says. And so yet while we are ridden with the fear of death in this room, probably more often than not or more than we care to admit, there's a real reality that because of the, the work of Christ in our place as our substitute, man, death just passes over. I read a, an author one time that said death is just but a doorway into life. Death is just but a, a shadow that passes over the Christian. And my gosh, how true is that for us? And yet we stay ridden with Fear. And so in that, we needed Jesus to go to the cross. Israel needs Jesus to go to the cross because there has to be a blood sacrifice. There has to be justice. There has to be death for those that deserve the death. It's not enough just to have mercy. People say, well, what about mercy? Well, I would say, what if you only had mercy? Let's, let's play that game. Say there is no justice, there is only mercy. And you go into a courtroom and there's a murderer sitting in the room and time after time after time again, the judge just says, acquitted, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty. What would you say? You, your inner lawyer would say what? We need justice. This is your job. Give us justice. Mercy's not enough. And so you need both. You need both justice and mercy. And that is what is served in the cross of Christ. The Father puts the Son on the cross so that we can experience life after, life after, life after death. There is nothing to fear. He literally puts on, he puts on flesh and bones so that we can stand in here on Sunday mornings and we can sing songs and say, oh, death, where is your victory? Right? Oh, death, where is your sting? It is simply non-existent for the Christian. And so the Jews are asking then, how can we enter into the kingdom of God? How can we live? And the author responds, Jesus has become like you. Jesus has put on flesh and blood. Jesus has become the very death that you're so fearful of, the very death that you feel enslaved to. Jesus became that death physically so that you can live forevermore spiritually. That is the gospel, church. Romans 3.24 pushes this out a little bit further for us. And it says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is us, church. Think about this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, talking to the church, and at the same time are justified, that means to be found not guilty, by his grace as a gift, uh, through the redemption, paying the price, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a, there's that word, say it with me one time. Cowards. Propitiation. That means he was satisfied, justice satisfied by his blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, or you could say perfect justice, because he has, because in his divine forbearance or knowledge, he had passed over former sins. How is it that God can pass over sin? Because he knew there was a Jesus that was coming that was going to take the, the justice that he wanted to give to his people. 
It was to show his righteous perfection, his righteous, perfect justice at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. My gosh, have you ever looked at the world and just thought, God, what are you doing? God, what are you doing right now? How can people get away with this? These heinous acts, how can people do that? And I want to tell you, church, it's the same story for us as it was for Israel, that there is a real Jesus who took everything that we deserved, all the justice that we deserve, and you better believe there's a real Jesus who's going to come back, and he's going to administer that justice as he sees fit. Everything, all the justice that you crave, church, is found in Jesus Christ. How can God pass over sins? Well, I would say just as he did in the Passover lamb. And so if you know a little bit about your Bible, and hopefully you do, there was something called the Passover that happened back in Israel, and it's a long story, so I'm going to try to make it very short. Well, Israel had to slay a lamb. It's kind of this last act of justice over Egypt. And, and when they slayed this lamb, there was a specific way that they had to kill this lamb and prepare this lamb, and then they had to put the blood of the lamb, listen for the gospel, they had to put the blood of the lamb over the doorframe. And so those who were in Israel, as they would sit under the blood of the lamb or hide in the blood of the lamb or rest in the blood of the lamb, you see the gospel there? That was they would kind of put their faith in the blood of the lamb. The angel of death would pass over that family. It was that lamb that had to be killed, though, for the sins of the people. And so to kind of word it this way, it was that lamb that had to be the sacrifice. It was the lamb that had to receive the justice. It was the lamb of God that was given to the people that had to propitiate, that had to appease or not even just a peace, satisfy the very wrath and anger and justice of God. It had to get taken out on that lamb so that the people of God could be kept safe forevermore. The lamb had to die so that we get to live, and that is the gospel. That's why it's not enough just to have mercy, but God had to send his firstborn son, and do you know that the angel of death does not pass over him? But whenever he goes to the cross, the angel of death runs right through him. Murder sacrifice, killed in our place as our substitute. Welcome to the Good Friday service. Do you see the gospel in that though? Right, just as the clouds though for us, oh, just as the clouds pass over the fields behind us, death now just passes over the believer for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus comes, puts on flesh and bone, puts death to death so that it can simply pass over us. Why would he do that? to satisfy God's justice, and at the same time, to give you mercy. He takes what you deserve so that you can get what you don't deserve, which is grace. Hopefully you're tracking with that. Mercy comes before faith. Second point then, and this is crazy, and it'll be a little bit more lighthearted for you, okay? But I wanna stick to, I wanna stick to what it says instead of just using humor to let you feel comfortable. The second point here, though, I literally have in my notes, second point, dot, 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 is crazy, exclamation point. It is cray-cray, you know what I'm saying? It's going to be great. We're going to have that moment where I'm going to be all jacked up here by myself. You guys are going to, like, just stare at me for a little bit, okay? And so you're going to just, I don't believe, I don't like that term, fake it till you make it. We're not going to use that. But, you know, if, if I earn it, you know, just turn charismatic all of a sudden, man. Bust the banners out. Just start running in here, you know, we'll get some modesty cloths and start throwing them out. It'll be great. Jesus, second point, Jesus provided propitiation. Jesus provided propitiation. Let's get crazy. Verse 17. Therefore, we read this earlier, but now we're coming back to it. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers, listen to me now, in every respect, okay? In every respect. So that he, Jesus, might become a merciful, so not just just merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make, here it is, propitiation for the sins of the people. Man, this is just the coolest stuff. The language here is very specific for a reason. It is very specific. And so if you're just tuning in, you're going to drink out of a fire hydrant. And if you've been here the last four weeks, you probably are full, but you're going to get blasted in the face a little bit more. Chapter one, we have to recap. What does this mean? Chapter one the author of Hebrews says, Jesus is fully God. He is God of God. He is the very begotten. He is the son of God. He makes purification for sins. Yes and amen. He is full of majesty and splendor and he's holy and he's out there on his throne and he's worth worshiping. He is way up high. Jesus is Lord. He is 
fully God in that way. And check this out. Then in chapter two, the chapter that we're in, Jesus, the author says Jesus comes and he's not only just up there high, oh, but there's this dual nature of Christ where he is fully man. He is fully human. He has put on flesh and bone to come and suffer among his brothers and sisters, among the people of Israel. He has come down very low. There is a Jesus that you can touch, a Jesus that is tangible to you. He doesn't just exist in the word, but the word has put on flesh and made himself known among us. And so he's laying out chapter one, fully God. Chapter two, he's fully man coming in this Way Jesus becomes a, he says here, very specific language, merciful high priest to make propitiation. The language is very specific because the author is making a point. And so before we get to the point, the question that the Jews had been asking was, how do we come into the presence of God? Okay, we understand that maybe our sins can be forgiven, but I know myself. I have the mirror in front of me. How do I come before him? How does he allow a murderer into his kingdom? How does this sort of a thing happen? And so he did say, Jesus took your justice when he died, which was full of mercy. But then he says here specifically, Jesus is your high priest. Oh my gosh. You're like, what does that mean? This is the moment. This is going to be so fun for me. I'm just going to invite you to where I've been all week, okay? And so I'll do a brief teaching here on the sacrificial <laughs> system in the Old Testament. Uh, whenever Israel would come in, uh, found themselves in sin, they'd have to come and they'd have to present an animal to be sacrificed by a high priest. And so let's play this scenario out. The Johnston family, J-Fam, jacked up as we are, ridden with sin as we literally are. We got to go in like once a year and we come up to the temple on the day of atonement. And what we have to do is we got our oxen or our bull or goat or whatever we have, you know, and we're kind of just standing there in line waiting. And we eventually get to go into the, the temple, a certain aspect of the temple, and the priest comes out, and he's like, all right, give me your animal. And the priest has to take that animal in, uh, kill that animal, dress that animal in a certain way, put uh, pieces of the animal carcass then on the altar. He burns it, and then it says a pleasing aroma goes up to the Father. Now, while the priest is in this room called the Holy of Holies, the most holy place thought in the, in the kingdom, in the world, as that priest is standing there, he's a representation of the Johnston family to God. You tracking with that? He's a representation of Israel to God, a representation of humanity to God, representation of man to God. Can I say it any other way? Are we on the same page? Okay, so he's, he's representing. And then it says this pleasing aroma comes up, and the, the Lord accepts that sacrifice. He says the Johnstons have been forgiven. And then the priest has to do an about face and walk back out to the jacked up Johnston family that they are and say, hey, good news. Uh, the Lord has accepted your sacrifice, and your sins are forgiven, and you've been atoned. Now go and sin no more. And who's the priest, boldly now, who's the priest representing in that moment to the Johnstons? You're like, oh, it sounds like Jesus. We're in church. And so he's representing God, right? And so the priest is what's called a mediator. And so when he's in the Holy of Holies, he's representing, he's rep being a representative, fully man to the Lord. He gives the sacrifice, comes out, and he's a representation of God to the people. And so whenever the author of Hebrews is saying he's become your merciful high priest. What he's saying is you can be accepted into the presence of God in the midst of your brokenness because of Christ. Like he has literally fulfilled every single iota, every dot of the law. Every bit of this has been fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Every single law has been fulfilled. Every single festival has been fulfilled in Christ. The whole entire sacrificial system has been fulfilled in and through the person and work of Jesus. So he has, he's the high priest is what that means. He is fully God. He is up on glory. He is fully man willing to suffer for you. He's a Jesus that you can know up high intellectually and worth your worship. And also, church, he's a Jesus you can know down low who is willing to suffer in your place as your substitute. The priest mediated, and then is Jesus Christ who mediates literally every single word that's in this thing for us so that we can come into the presence of God. Can I rant like a little bit more about this? I just think it's so fascinating. I love it. You know, welcome to, welcome to, thank you. Thank you, Brian Crow. Yes. Appreciate you. Thank you. Let me rant. Think about this. I'm going to repeat myself again because I'm a pastor. That's what we get paid to do. Say the same thing over and over again. Listen, just think about this. In light of the, you don't have to know a lot about the sacrificial. Just let my energy fuel you in this. 
Jesus is the priest. I was going to put this on the screen and I just forgot. Jesus is the priest. He represents both God and man. Jesus becomes like Israel, fully man. Jesus becomes the sacrifice, the spotless lamb. Jesus goes to the altar, just as they would have take that into the altar to die. That is the crucifixion when he goes to the cross. Jesus is properly prepared in that. That means he takes, his, takes our sin into and onto himself. That's how he is prepared to be the perfect sacrifice. Jesus then is literally the perfect sacrifice. He dies like dead, dead. Like Greek word for dead literally means dead. There it is. He literally dies. He's the pleasing aroma to the Father's nostrils in that moment. And then in that, Jesus, not only does he die in the place of humanity, which is mercy, but he satisfies the wrath of God in that he propitiates. And then he atones in that, atones for his people, allows us to walk back into relationship with him. That is the grace of the gospel. He literally fulfills every single aspect of the sacrificial system. Listen, why is that important? Because no one else has that. Like, there's not a religion in the world that has that sort of a reality behind it. There's not one. I've studied them pretty widely. For me, let's check this out. For me to even be able to say what I just said, for it to even be written in this book, the probability of that truth that you just heard is like 0.0000001% chance that I could even say what I just said. And yet here it is. And so he's saying, man, how do we escape death? Jesus took your death. Well, how do we enter into the presence of God without being obliterated? Jesus is your high priest. Regardless of what you have done, he's fully God, fully man, and he welcomes you into the holy of holies. Oh, in a couple chapters from now, we're going to talk about the veil being torn at the temple. Jesus is the way. As his flesh is torn for us, so also the veil is torn between us and the Holy of Holies, where Jesus don't exist in some temple anymore, for we are that temple. Thank you. So as Lord, Jesus steps into and under the justice of God. He's, he takes his very own justice to satisfy his own expectations. And as Savior, he dies, not giving you or me what we deserve. He gives us, which is mercy. Instead, he gives us grace, the ability to walk back into relationship with him. This is how Jesus makes purification for sins, as it says in chapter 1. This is how Jesus satisfies God's wrath, as we've seen throughout chapter 2. So what do we do with that? Well, we're just going to skip ahead and read Hebrews 4. It's coming. I hope I get to preach on it. It might be David, but I hope it's me. Preview, Hebrews 4, says, so then, like, what do we do? Since then, since then, since then, we have a, what? A great high priest who is passed through the heavens, name's Jesus, by the way, the Son of God, let us with covenant, this is covenant language, let us hold fast our confession, church, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive what? Mercy. Not just justice, but also mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. There is both justice and mercy is at the heart of the gospel because justice and mercy is at the heart of the cross. That is what I want you to hear. You need both. And so what do we do? How do we respond to this sort of a truth? Well, the last point here is the application for us. Last point is... Jesus tasted temptation. Verse 18 says it. Just read from chapter 4, said it. But verse 18 is our text for today. Jesus tasted temptation. Verse 18. For because he himself has suffered when tempted. Let's camp there for a second. Think about that. Part of Jesus' suffering came from the way he had to respond when he was tempted. Pin that for a second. Because he himself has suffered when tempted... He is able to help those who are being tempted. Now, so he has put on flesh and blood. He has died in our place as our substitute. He has satisfied the God's justice. justice. He has suffered through temptation. So what does that mean? What it means is this. Jesus never responded in a way that was foul whenever he was tempted. And there lies the conviction in the text. That right there reveals the sin that's exposed in the text for you and me. Have you ever been lied to? Anybody ever lied to you? Even a little white lie. I'm on my way. They're still tying their shoes, you know? Have you lied, you know? Yes, we have. Have you ever been lied to? So is Jesus. How did you respond? 
He had to respond in perfection for you. Anything short of perfection in that moment from you required death. And Jesus took your death. Have you ever been hurt by someone emotionally, physically perhaps, sexually? How do you respond in that? Do you want justice? Jesus received the justice that you so desire, giving you mercy in that moment, knowing good and well. How does he give me mercy in that moment? Knowing good and well there's a day coming where, man, he's going to unleash his justice on people in a way that is unfathomable for us to understand. If you've been hurt and wronged, he has experienced that, and he will get his justice, but first he gives you mercy. Have you ever been angry? Ever been betrayed? We're going to talk about his betrayal when we get to communion, aren't we? Have you been abused, cheated on, threatened? How do you respond in that moment? Part of Jesus' suffering was not just on the cross, although that was horrific. Part of Jesus' suffering was the reality that he had to walk out perfection in the midst of temptation. He was tempted as we are, puts on flesh and bone as we are. And so what happens here, the application that comes from this, when you have a, an understanding here of both justice and mercy being at the heart of the gospel and propitiation, big fancy word, that it is worth exploring. What happens then is that our, this doctrine here forces us to forgive. Forgive others, to forgive ourselves, to give, forgive the people in the world that we don't particularly want to forgive. And so there's three ways you can respond in light of forgiveness. Uh, the first is this. You can hoard as Lord, is what I would write down if I were you, when it comes to forgiveness. You can hoard it as Lord. You can hoard as Lord. This is to want justice only and not mercy. Justice and mercy are at the heart of the gospel. But sometimes, just like we try to be Lord or Savior, we also want to try to separate in this way as well. And so you can hoard as Lord. This is to desire justice only. I want you all to hear me say this. And you can be hurt, and you have been, I have no doubt, you can be hurt and you have been and you can hold on to that, that hurt and you can desire justice. And I would say it is good and right to desire justice. That is a right responsibility for you, whether you're a Christian or not, to desire justice. You can cling, though, tightly to forgiveness and, and cling tightly to forgiveness as an act of justice. Like you can cling to forgiveness as a way of saying, I want to hurt you. I want to sentence you. I'm going to keep you at arm's reach. I'm not going to bring you back into relationship. And here's the deal. Forgiveness doesn't always mean reconciliation. Forgiveness doesn't always mean that you got to be best friends with someone. But what forgiveness does mean is you can kind of take the wrath that you're holding so clear to your, close to your chest that you can feel the heat coming off of, and you can let go of that, and you can say, hey, I don't need just justice only. There's also mercy that's there in the gospel. And while I want to be mad at you, I can't just be mad at you forever, because it's not what Jesus modeled for me. Justice and mercy. Whenever all you want is justice, you don't get justice. You get judgment. You're just sitting in judgment. Wondering why you're mad all the time. Wondering why anxiety's coming out all the time. Wondering why you hate going home for the holidays. What, what might it look like if you said, Father, forgive me, for I know not what I do. Because that's what he said for you while he was being murdered on the cross. And you say, God, just I'm going to trust you enough today to surrender my whole life to the gospel. There's people that come in your mind right now that you need to forgive and you haven't forgiven and it's just leading to death. Let me tell you, that is a wrath and a justice and a death that has already been tasted for you. You don't have to hold on to that. That's why Jesus went, so you can let go of it. Some of you just need to forgive yourself. Like there's a wrath and a justice. Like you want to feel self-condemnation because you, maybe, maybe you've done something horrific. Maybe you did it today. And yet there's still a Romans 8 that says there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Which means you can let go of your wanting to self-inflict pain and self-harm both emotionally and physically at times. And hoarding forgiveness, you never get justice, you only get judgment. There's a real Jesus that has propitiated for you. Believe that he's taken the justice that you deserve and justice you think someone else deserves into himself so that he might give you mercy. At the same time though, you have to watch it because you can just be too, let's call it merciful. Second point within the application here is you can give forgiveness too easily now. 
And you got to watch that because some of you do give forgiveness too easily or you accept forgiveness or you accept maybe apologies, I better get You accept apologies too easy. And what you do in that is you dismiss conflict too easily and you're not being gracious in those moments. You're just being a pacifist. You're being passive. And I don't mean that to be mean or negative. I'm just saying that that might come, that might come from a place where you don't fully understand justice and mercy. Come from, could come from a place of abuse, neglect, harm that has robbed you of a voice. And at the same time, like if you're only mercy all the time and you're only avoiding conflict all the time and only avoiding relationships all the time, what's going to happen is you're going to walk around and you're going to say, does anybody see what's happening to me? Why is no one looking? Why is no one watching? Where's everybody at? Where are you at, God? To which the author said he was there on the cross for you, giving you mercy, receiving justice, propitiation. Uh, It gives you a backbone and allows you to look someone in the face and say, you know what? I'm not going to forgive you right now. Like, we need to have the hard conversation. We need to go to marriage counseling. We need to get this thing sorted out, right? It invites in not just mercy and mercy only, but man, propitiation says, no, there needs to be a little bit of justice. There is justice in the cross. Gosh, there's a real Jesus. I need you to know that fall in this category. There's a real Jesus that does not take advantage of you like you're allowing someone to take advantage of you, but rather he was taken advantage of for you. Because he saw you. That's the gospel. Don't let someone rob you of your God-given voice, yeah? And so you cannot only have justice. You cannot only have mercy. So you then, you have to have both. You have to have justice and mercy. So the third option you have here then is you can rest in forgiveness. You can know everything that has been talked about today for the sake of time. Everything that has been talked about today, that justice and mercy are at the heart of the gospel. And there's a real God that offers real forgiveness for you, forgiveness that you can give to someone else, forgiveness that you can receive and believe for yourself, maybe even from yourself, a real forgiveness that leads uh, to rest. Why don't you stand with me? Let me usher you into communion. The team will come back up. I I want you to hear this. There was a, I started off with that sentencing that we got to go to and it was a really hard thing to set through in here. And we did get to see a mom forgive. And what's beautiful about that, man, is, and you got to hear and believe the gospel in this church, like, if you're going to genuinely forgive someone else, listen to me now. I know there's movement on the stage, but focus here. If you're going to genuinely forgive someone else or genuinely forgive yourself, listen to me, you got to die a little bit. Like, there was two people that died in that family. It was that woman's son, and it was her metaphorically. She had to die to pride. She had to die to arrogance. She had to die to some hopes and some expectations, some aspirations that she had. In that moment, whenever Andrew and I watched this mama offer forgiveness, we simultaneously watched her die. If you're going to genuinely forgive yourself or forgive someone else, it's going to cost you your life. There's no way around it. You, you cannot do the things that, are, that you're called to do as Christians without an understanding of what Jesus has done for you. And so there's this real Jesus that offers all the justice you could ever desire, all the mercy you could ever want. In light of hoarding it, uh, the judge at the end of that conversation with a great deal of tears in her eyes, she said, no one won today. Nobody won. You both lost a son. One to death and one to 17 and a half more years in prison. Look at me. When you hoard forgiveness, nobody wins. Not you, you don't win. And not the person you're hoarding it against. Neither one of you win. It just leads to further judgment, not justice, and not mercy. And so today, as we get to go to communion, I want to remind you that communion reminds you and see, uh, reveals to you both the justice of God as well as the mercy of God. And so as you make your way up here in a moment, you're going to see, the, going to see the bread that represents Christ's body that was broken for you in your place as your substitute. And as you take that bread, recall the justice of God in that moment, broken and battered for you. And then as you come up and you see the cup and you dip your bread in the cup or you take the, the plastic cup away, it doesn't matter. Man, recall the mercy of God that's been given to you. 
like you're eating into yourself what he experienced for you. That's mercy so that you might receive grace. Grace for you and grace to be given perhaps to someone else in your life. This is not a religious event when we take communion, man. It's a redemptive event. And so before you come forward, if there are faces that you see in your head that you know you need to go have a conversation with, I want you to pray about what does it look like that God might empower you to forgive. Perhaps you've done something horrific and you stand here and you've been taking communion every single week, not forgiving yourself, just further hardening your heart to the gospel, holding on to forgiveness for others, holding on to forgiveness for self. Before you come and taste and eat at the king's table, I would encourage you to spend a minute and say, Father, forgive me for I know not what I do. You, you said it once, God, help me to believe it today. Like help me to believe it as if it's real today. God, give me the grace to forgive myself and forgive someone else. Remind me of the mercy that you've given to me. Perhaps you're in the room, man, and you've just never tasted forgiveness, period. I would ask you to consider the question, have you, have you genuinely tasted forgiveness? I'm not asking you if you read your Bible. I'm not asking you if you pray. I don't care about your church attendance. Genuinely, have you tasted the forgiveness of Jesus in such a way that you feel the weight come off of your shoulders from all the burdens you've been carrying? Like you've seen him on the cross and you go, that was for me. No doubt, that's for me. That fuels everything I do. I'm surrendered to that. Is that the forgiveness you know? If it is not, church. I don't care if you've been a professing Christian for 25 years. Today's the day to say, I'll put on a charade. I want to receive that forgiveness. And then come and take and eat and feast at the king's table, perhaps for the first time in your life. I come forward when you're ready, saints.